Something that you may not know about my wife, Carrie, is that she loves to sing. She loves to sing. And before, Dana, I don't know where you are, but before you try to recruit her to the choir, um, I want to say a little bit more about that. Um, She loves to sing everything in every key with every word that comes to mind. And it is a beautiful offering that she gives to the world. Um, And I am grateful because she sings at home often. Um, Again, kind of whatever, she she makes things up. She sings along with songs. If they're not singing the right word that she's singing with, she makes her own words to make it right. Um, But she sings with this spirit of joy in her heart. And, and, And she sings especially in times in our house when she can see that maybe I'm a little stressed Um, And so this week, we had rehearsals for the Nutcracker. We have a lot of things going on. Um, She's wrapping up the Christmas tree harvest. There's just a lot happening in life. And I'm preparing to preach a sermon on joy and maybe wasn't always particularly joy-filled this week as I was preparing. And so Carrie did her part to try to sing. Her her name, Carrie, means song of joy. And so uh, I just thank you for living into your name and, and bringing joy in our home. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I love the way that you offer yourself. Um, it's an act of praise in worship in whatever key you choose. And God bless you and thank you. Thank you for it. <laughs> this morning we are going to hear a song of joy from Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's from a very famous piece of scripture in the Gospel of Luke as we continue our our sermon series, Come Home for Christmas. Today's focus is on come home to joy. Come home to joy. And so we're going to be reading from scripture from Luke chapter 1. And just a little bit of setup. You remember in the the past couple weeks we have read through Luke's Gospel and we'll continue to do so into the birth narrative of of Christ our Lord as we celebrate Christmas here in a couple of weeks. Um, But we're in the Gospel of Luke, and and just before this, we had read the passage where Mary gets visited by the angel Gabriel and told that she's going to bear a son, and he will be the Savior of the world. Uh, We've also read in in previous weeks about Elizabeth and Zechariah, her husband, who didn't believe when Gabriel showed up and said, hey, you guys are going to have a kid too, um, because they were a little bit older. And uh, so we we read about Elizabeth having a child. Her, her, Her child will be John the Baptist. And Elizabeth is related to Mary. And so now we get to hear the account of what happens when Elizabeth and Mary get together to talk about their pending pregnancies. So hear this word from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried into a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When was the last time that you leapt for joy? You remember? Have you ever done that? What was it that caused you to leap for joy? Or what would it cause for you to leap for joy? Maybe it was a a sporting event. You were watching a football game or some other event. Um, I confess that when Michigan beat Ohio State for the first time in eternity a couple weeks ago, I leapt for joy. It was fantastic. Go Blue. Maybe it was, maybe there was a moment that you leapt for joy because you had, I don't know, hit a a certain fitness goal that you'd been working toward or something like that. Maybe it was finishing a semester of school. We just had graduation on campus here yesterday. Uh, So I know some people are very excited about that, having finished school. This is a time of year when we typically see family and friends and we gather together. And maybe, uh, maybe you've leapt for joy because someone surprised you once at one of those family gatherings. I remember driving across the country in the middle of uh, this time of year uh, to surprise my parents for Thanksgiving. And it was just such a joyous occasion to show up on the front door and, and knock on the door and say, hey, I'm home. Where's the food? <laughs> it was great. We leapt for joy. Elizabeth's baby, John, in her belly, leaps for joy when Mary enters the room. John in utero knows, John the Baptist hasn't even been born yet, but in his mother's belly, he knows that something big is coming, that good news is on the way. And Mary reacts by singing. Sometimes song has the ability to say things that we can't say with just words alone. I think that's why we say, and I think that's, that's one of the gifts of music, to express things of the soul, deep things that we don't even have words that are accurate to describe, but the music with it allows us to say things, to express joy unimaginable. And that's what Mary does in this, this song, this, this song called the Magnificat. That, that's, that's a Latin word that stands for the, kind of the first phrase there, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is the longest quote in scripture from a woman in the New Testament. And so it's an important one. It's from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I don't know how familiar you are with Mary and Mary's story. I know growing up in in a church um, that was very, uh, um, we we didn't focus a whole lot on Mary because we were part of the Reformation movement, right? As this church is. And we were a little too afraid to get those Catholics that that talk about Mary in weird ways that we don't understand. I'm just going to leave Mary over there a little bit. Thank you. So maybe that's how you've been experiencing uh, Mary through the years. I don't think the Catholic, never mind. I'm not even going to get into that. I love the Catholic tradition uh, and grateful for, for all the ways that they worship. Um, 
But as a, as a child and as a, growing up in my faith, I was kind of learned to kind of hold Mary at a distance. There were parts of this song even, I think, that when we read through it, we tend to hold at a distance. The first part is great, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. We resonate with that. We know about God's work in the past. We know about God's faithfulness from generation to generation. We read about it in the Hebrew scriptures. We've experienced it in our own lives. And so we can recall times in which we were so thankful for God's provision, for God's work in our lives and in the world, for God's redemption and God's salvation. And so we can relate to that part of the song. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. It's kind of echoes of Exodus, right? You remember from even from the Psalms with a, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God's love endures forever. And that's how Mary starts out singing. And, and, and as you read through the words of Mary's song here, you'll see that a lot of it comes directly from Scripture. There are all kinds of quotes from, from the Psalms. There, the, in fact, most of the song follows a similar structure of Hannah's song uh, from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, talking about when Hannah was longing for a son and God provided that. We hear echoes of that in Mary's song here as well. Uh, some of the prophets, the phrases from the prophets ring a familiar bell. And so as we read through Mary's song, we realize that Mary knows her Bible. Mary knows scripture from heart she knows that just even when she just greeted elizabeth and elizabeth said blessed are you mary burst into song with an overflow of joy from her soul that reverberated through all of scripture as she recalled from memory god's faithfulness in the lives of god's people and anticipated god doing great things in her life and in the world. And what's even more remarkable about this is when you consider Mary's reality. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but Mary was a young woman, probably a teenager at the time, and she was engaged to Joseph, and now all of a sudden she finds out that she's expecting a baby. That wasn't Joseph's. That's a big deal, right? That's a big deal for any of us, but particularly in Mary's time. Old Testament law requires that women who are in an adulterous relationship be put to death. That's how serious this was for Mary to realize that she is great with child came with a lot of, I imagine, fear and anxiety and possible repercussions. And yet, Mary knows that even in the midst of that anxiety, even in the midst of that vulnerability, that Joseph could have decided to leave her. We read that he, he decided not to after the angel came and visited him, Right? But in the midst of all that uncertainty and anxiety, she is overwhelmed with joy because she knows that she is bearing the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the long-promised Messiah that the prophets whom she had memorized spoke of for years and years and years. And after 400 years of silence between Micah, the last prophet, and Mary receiving this word, God's people waited and wondered and lived in difficult times, lived in oppression, lived, in, uh, lived in, under Roman rule, which was really difficult, <laughs> lived under the, the rule of Herod, who was a, a terrible dictator, and did awful things even to his own family, much less the people that were subject to his rule. And so this is the world that Mary 
was a part of. This is the world that, 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 that she was experiencing when she heard the good news that a Savior is to be born. And she was to bear it, bear him. And so all of that we can relate a little bit to, probably not on the, the, the level that Mary can, um, but the idea of praising God for God's, God's great deeds throughout history and God's faithfulness. We can relate to that. But then we get to some parts that are a little, little harder to read, right? Verse 53 God has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. That, that one's a little harder to sing along to, isn't it, <laughs> for us? I mean, most of us in this church uh, do not go to bed hungry. If we're hungry, we go to the fridge, we go to a store, we get something we're, we're taken care of. Not a lot of us in this church um, know what it's like to be really, really, really destitute and poor. At Mary's time, uh, of living in her context, there were about 2 to 3% of the world was considered rich. And everybody else was living day to day. Now, you might be sitting and, and thinking, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not rich, but you might also relate to the fact of what it's like to live day to day. And this was Mary's context. But we read, and the reality is we are rich in comparison to the rest of the world. The way that we live um, is, is a far higher standard than a lot of the rest of the world. We have more wealth and money than, than a lot of people do. There's six, seven billion people in the world. Um, we're better off than most of them, if we're really honest. And so when we read things like verse 53, filled the hungry with good things but sent the rich away empty, kind of makes us pause a little bit, doesn't it? He scattered those who are proud, brought down rulers from their thrones, lifted up, the humble. You know what it means to be proud? There's obviously different ways to look at it, right? But the, in this context, it's talking about people who are proud have no need for anyone else. People who are proud have no need for God. People who are proud have a sense that I've done this on my own and I'm just fine, thank you. I don't need any help from God or anyone else. Mary says he has scattered those who are proud, who don't need God or anyone else. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. Verse 48, Mary says, God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant Mary. So Mary is recognizing that God is lifting up those just like her, the 97, 98% of the world that are poor, that are destitute, that are living day to day, that are vulnerable to the whims of a, 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 an evil dictator who makes decisions that benefit him and his, and his country more than the general good. Mary says, but a time is coming where that's going to change. And she's praising God for it. It's an overflow of joy at the news of God's salvation. And these are dangerous. When you start talking about scattering the proud and, and breaking down, bringing down rulers, those are dangerous words. Especially if you're one of the people who is subjected to the danger and the oppressive rule of those who are in charge. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian who was put to death uh, by the Nazis, called the Magnificat, this song of Mary's, the most passionate, the wildest, and one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. Most revolutionary hymn ever sung. Did you know that these words 
were banned in some countries from reading out loud because they were so revolutionary. Whoa, whoa, we don't want all the poor, all the the huddled masses to learn that they actually have power, to learn that they actually have hope, to learn that the world is not always going to be like this. Let's just keep that, you all can read that first part. Let's sing along with it. God is great. Let's sing that part. That second part, we're not going to allow you to sing that in public. We're not even going to allow you to read it in public. That's how powerful this revolutionary hymn of Mary's is because it's about making things right recognizing that christ has come into the world to make things right to work against poverty and oppression to work against powerful people who are corrupt to work against the perpetuating of injustice I preached before about justice in the Hebrew scriptures. It has this connotation of of everybody has enough. That's what justice looks like. Everybody has all that they need. And that's what Mary is singing about. And so it's about everybody having enough. It's about reminding those who are proud or those who are rich that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so it's not necessarily saying, hey, that those who are rich, they're going to be poor and they're going to be terrible and destitute and whatever. No, it's, it's about leveling the playing field, making sure that all have enough and reminding those who are in positions of power and who, to whom much is given to look out for those who are vulnerable and who are in need and who are hungry and who are, who are living in insecurity. That's what this song is about. It's, it's about speaking back against the systems that keep corrupt leaders in place. About making things right. And Mary sings this song and John the Baptist leaps for joy in his mother's womb. Joy at the coming of the kingdom of God. Joy at the reversal of the way that things are dark. Joy at the coming of the light into the midst of the darkness. Joy because God keeps the promises God makes to Abraham and all generations. God has remembered God's people even after 400 years of silence. That's what makes John leap in his mother's belly. The time has come when things are changing. In the beginning, Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Mary recognizes that this is a divine moment. This is a a Kairos kind of moment. This is a moment that changes everything. That Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. And there are even cosmic implications in this pregnancy. There's a picture that I, that I love. Um, it's, a, it's a pencil drawing from Sister Grace Remington, who is a Cistercian nun uh, in um, an, an abbey called Our Lady of the Mississippi Abbey in Iowa. And can we put that picture on the screen? I love this picture. It speaks of the, the cosmic implications of the birth of Christ. This is Mary comforting Eve. The implications of the announcement of Jesus' birth, the, the, the arrival of the time when things will be made 
right goes all the way back to the very beginning to make things right. I love this picture. Look at Eve. I don't know if you can see her face, but you can tell her countenance is just weighed down in guilt and shame. The effects of sin weighing on her. You can even see the serpent wrapped around her legs as if pulling her down. I wonder if any of you have felt like this weight. I wonder if you have felt what it feels like to be subjected to the weight of sin in your life. To feel as though something is is holding you back from God's best for you. To feel like no matter how hard you try, (laughs) there's still something that's working against you. To feel vulnerable, to feel shame for things that you've done in your life that you're not proud of and that you wish had gone differently. That's the look that, that Eve has on her face. In fact, you can see she's even still clutching the fruit in her hand, isn't she? She, has, she still hasn't even let go of the thing that took her away from God, the thing that got in the way of her intimate relationship with the God of the universe. She's still holding on to that. That's, that's a picture of pride, isn't it? Of holding on to these things that we think are going to make us happy, these things that will bring us fulfillment, thinking that we can do things on our own. She's still holding on to that fruit. But look at Mary. Mary reaches out and and touches Eve's face and invites her to look up and realize the salvation and the forgiveness and the grace that God provides. Mary grabs Eve's hand and places it on her belly as if to say, look, because of this, it's going to be okay. All will be well. Because of this baby. The things that weigh you down, this fruit that you're still clutching in your hand, let it go. Because this baby changes everything. And like a true multitasking mother, she's crushing the head of the serpent at the same time. Doesn't even miss a beat. She's got her foot on the serpent's head. I just love this picture. Such a picture of grace and tenderness and forgiveness and joy. Knowing that we're not stuck, we're not bound by the effects of sin, we're not held down forever. No, there is light coming into the world. And his name is Jesus. And Mary invites us to come to him and and, and place our hands on her belly and realize that there is hope for a better day tomorrow. And that that better day starts right now. Because Christ is with us. 
The sermon series is, uh, is about coming home for Christmas. And today is about coming home to joy. And there's one other story, and I'll close with this, and I want to invite the worship team to come forward. There's one other story about coming home to joy in Luke's gospel that I think speaks so beautifully about what it looks like for us to embody this grace and forgiveness and joy that Mary shares with Eve. Um, it's from Luke chapter 15. It's a story of the prodigal son. And you probably know the story. Uh, the son goes to his father and says, hey, I'd like all of my inheritance now. It's like saying to your, to your parents that you're, you're dead to me. Just give me your money. I want to go have fun. And so he does that and he goes out and he squanders that inheritance. And he realizes in the middle of it, he finds himself destitute. He finds himself without hope. He finds himself not knowing where to turn. He's, he's working for people and he's feeding pigs, which is like the lowest thing that you could do in Jewish society. It's the most unclean thing you could do. Um, but that's where he finds himself after, after squandering this inheritance in, in sin and, and just not great living. And all of a sudden, Scripture says it, it comes, he comes to his senses and realizes, hey, if I go back to my father's house, I can work as a hired servant. I can work as a slave, and I'll be treated better than I am right now. At least I'll know where my next meal is coming from. And so he, he goes back to his dad, and he has this whole speech planned about how, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And he goes back, but before he can even finish his prepared speech, his father sees him coming, and he runs out to greet him. And he embraces him, and he says, let's have a party. This son of mine who was dead, who was lost, has come home, and there is joy, and heaven resounds with joy and grace and mercy. And the thing about that story that I think is so compelling, talking about coming home to joy, the, the son didn't go home. And, and, and maybe, I want you to hear this because maybe this is where you are or maybe it's where somebody that you know is. If you find yourself in a place that you have that countenance of Eve where you're, you're just defeated and you're just stuck in your own stuff and you can't get out of it, maybe you know somebody who's in that place, bring them with you to church. Say, hey, come on, I, like, I know things have been rough. I want you to come with me. I'll pick you up, whatever it takes. Bring them to church to hear the good news, to place their hands on the belly of Mary and realize that there is joy come in our midst. There is a way out of that sin. There's a way out of that struggle. And, and the thing that I love about that story of the prodigal son, he didn't go home because he remembered, oh, yeah, you know what? I really miss my dad and I love my father and I miss the, and I'm gonna go back. No, he didn't do that. He went back because he had nowhere else to go. And his father didn't even care what he had done. It didn't matter. He was so overjoyed to see him. He leapt, he greeted him, he threw a party because he was so glad that his son was home. And that's how God is with us. No matter what you've done, no matter what you have participated in, no matter where you are in life, God wants you home. And God wants you to know that because of Jesus, because of this baby in Mary's belly, all will be well. Because God is with us. And so if you're in that place, or if you know somebody who's in that place of dejection, of frustration, of depression, of not knowing where else to turn, invite them to come home. Invite them to come here with you and help them to see God's home is for them. 
God's home is open to all of us and God's grace and mercy extends from generation to generation into eternity. Amen? Amen.